Today, Lord, we are indeed grateful for this day. We thank you for the privilege of your word for those that are here. We recognize that this is a great opportunity and a wonderful day to be able to worship you. Pray today that God, your spirit, will continue to abide. We thank you already for your presence. Now, God, anoint, pray that you sanctify, that you, Lord, will anoint me to preach the word of God. We thank you for the word. The word is anointed. We thank you for the privilege of being able to lift up the Lord who knows all things, who understands all things. God, we don't have to worry about tomorrow because we know in whom we belong. We thank you that you already have kept us for this day. Whatever may happen tomorrow, may it take place, but may we, may we be found in the glorious will of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a quite a, a lengthy reading today. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week. I want to thank you for being here. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 25. I have been just intrigued as we've been going through the book of Acts. And as we have been going through Acts, we have found that the Apostle Paul has been a man that has been on fire for the Lord. He has been a man that has been dedicated to sharing the word and a man that has been blessed by the Almighty. Even though once he was a blasphemer and, and fought against the word, God stopped him right in his tracks and brought him to himself. I'm going to be picking up today at Acts 25, beginning at verse 23 and reading Chapter 26, verses 1 through 30. So your virgin will read a little bit differently, and I'll be reading this straight through. So please follow along. Beginning at chapter 25 of Acts, verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officials and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I made my defense against all the as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so because you are well acquainted with the with all the Jewish customs and controversies therefore I beg you to listen to my to me patiently the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. 
They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of the religion, of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. Is there a clinic? So you pass me a clinic, please, Anisha. I have one right here. Thank you. Verse 7, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys... I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. Now listen to this. We all fell to the ground. Let me pause and say this. This is the first of Paul's three recordings where we note that everybody with him fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick kick against the goads or pricks in some Bibles. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple, the temple courts, and tried to kill me. But I have, the God, but I have, but I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am, saying, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. 
What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King, then Agrippa said to Paul, in some Bibles, this is what I like, you almost persuaded me, Paul. My Bible says, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king arose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. I have continued the title under God's direct protection, part three. Today I want to draw your attention to three points. Point number one, I will be addressing the audience, the message, and the third point, the appeal and the rejection. The message, point num- excuse me, the audience, point number one, the message, and the appeal, and the rejection. Governor Felix left Paul in prison because he wanted to grant a favor to the Jewish people who were accusing Paul. And secondly, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So Governor Felix at that time left him in prison prison, and left him for the next governor, Festus. With Paul having been left in prison for two years and with the new governor, Festus, in place, Festus really does not know what to do with Paul. He's at a loss. What am I going to do with this man that's been left in prison? Here I am replacing Felix, and I have a hot case on my hand. What am I going to do? It is now before the dignitaries that Paul is going to make his defense. As I mentioned before, it is the third time that Paul gives how his life was radically changed for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today that God has been calling some of you and some of you have not yet responded. God has been calling. He's been sending warnings. He's been sending all types of situations, yet you have not responded. But Paul received a vision from God, and Paul could not deny what he had seen and what God had done in his life. This audience has been brought together as the king has been informed about Paul by the new governor, and the king now wants to hear Paul for himself. He wants to know, What in the world am I going to write to Emperor Nero about this man? If I'm going to send him to Rome, what am I going to say? I have nothing to say. So King Agrippa, I would love for you to hear him. And King Agrippa says, I would love to hear him. 
And Governor Festus said, tomorrow you will. So we find the audience here before Paul of dignitaries, the king, the governor, and the high-ranking officials. You see, it really didn't make a difference with Paul who stood before him. You see, Paul was always willing to give the word of God no matter who the audience was. There are people today that will change their message depending on who's in the audience. They, they will begin to tone down the gospel depending on who's listening. There's a mandate given to the minister, to Paul, to the ministers of God, to preach the word of God in season and out of season. And Paul doesn't care who's listening. The audience here is different than the audience before Felix when Paul stood. Because before Felix, there were the accusers there. There were those who had come. And in fact, it was those who had thrown stones and had, you know, had got Paul and threw some uppercuts. There was this, you remember this game? It was a, um, what was that game? Sherelle, you remember that game that me and Quinn used to play? He beat me like 90 times to one. <laughs> that kicking game, the karate game, what was the name of that game? Not Mike Tyson, no. Techie? Techie. That's Techie, was that it? Tekken, Tekken. I was no good at that game. I got, I, you know, they had a little bar on how much, you know, life you got left. And you sitting there trying to beat the other person, and they can almost be at zero and come back and kill you, almost, you know, destroy you. So one night, me and my son are playing this game, and I'm very competitive. I don't like losing. And I kept saying, try it again. He was just having a good time. Beat me 90 to 1. No exaggeration. Because I wouldn't give up. Until I won one game, then we could quit. He was not going to go undefeated on me. I don't care if it was 90 to 1. I won one game. <laughs> the group that was beating up Paul, they had in mind to kill him when the commander Lysias had come and taken him away. Paul was placed in prison and then later was transferred to Caesarea. It was Governor Felix hoped that Paul would offer him a bribe. Today the world wants you to bribe them so that they don't have to hear the word of God. They want you to tell them something that their itching ears want to hear. But God says, be faithful, Paul, to the word. Don't give in to what people want you to tell them. Preach the word of God. And that's what Paul did. And as he stands here before King Agrippa II, and he stands here before the Queen Bernice, who is his sister that he married. And as they come with great pomp and circumstance, they are more interested in being seen than hearing the word of God. They come in, and they wait till everybody's there, and they make their entrance. You know, that's how some people are. They want to make their entrance so that everybody can see them. Everybody can, can, can gaze on them. That's what they were interested in. But we need to be very careful. For, for Jeremiah says that 
If we are to boast, we are to boast in the Lord. We're not to boast in ourselves what we have, what we can do. We are to make our boast in the Lord. And so as Paul stands here before this great audience, makes him no difference. He's going to give them what the Lord has told him to say. And so as Paul stands here, he says to the king, I am indeed privileged to be able to stand before you, King Agrippa. Paul had a way of being able to give honor to whom honor was due. And so he gives honor to the king. But Paul is not going to stop there. There are some times when we will just fawn over people because of who they are. And not pay attention to what they really believe. Because they are popular, because they, they, they are nice. But what they are giving out is destruction. We need to get past what people look like. We need to get past what, what, what people, who people are, and look at what are people saying? Do they represent God's word? And so Paul would not compromise. Point number two, the message. When Paul was brought in, it is Festus who gives the introduction and tells them why they are there. And even though he tells them why they are there, it is Paul who's going to tell them the reason, really, why they are there. Once Paul had gained permission to speak, number one, Paul begins by stating that he has been known by his accusers from the time he was a child. Now that's important. Because those that had accused Paul had known his daddy, had known probably his mama. We don't know about Paul's parents, but they knew about him from the beginning. We know that his father was a Pharisee, and Paul grew up as a Pharisee, one of the leaders in the group. Now, now, now you get this, understand this. Paul was a zealot. He was a man who would kill you because of what he believed. If you came up with a different philosophy than Paul, look out because he would hunt you down. And so Paul told them, you all have known me since I was a kid. I didn't just arrive on the scene. You've known me. Then he tells them, you, you, you know that I even studied in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Who was Gamaliel? Gamaliel was the most famous teacher of that day. If you were taught by Gamaliel, my goodness, man, you would gain recognition just because of who you sat under. Gamaliel was a man at that time. Paul was a man of great learning. They knew that because they knew that Paul was trained in Jerusalem. And as he's laying this out for them, it's important that they understand you've known me from a child. You knew me when I was a young man because of the training. You knew me when I was living in Jerusalem. I was even a part of your group. Now they want to kill me. Number two, the leaders. This leads Paul to the point of even addressing the chief priests. Isn't it interesting that when Paul lays out the foundation of how they knew him from a child 
and then when he lived in Jerusalem, that he then says, now, chief priest, don't let me leave you out. You are the ones that even gave me letters to go hunt down the Christians and bring them back in chains and kill them. You are the one that even gave me permission to break up families, to take the fathers and the mother from their children. Paul didn't care. Chief priest, I got the letters from you. They couldn't deny knowing him. And I can imagine that some could be starting to look down. He's talking about me. <laughs> Paul's message was, in fact, number three in this message. Paul's message was, in fact, the very hope that the Jewish leaders and nation said that they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for Christ. They were waiting for him. And when he came on the scene, they didn't recognize him. He don't talk like us. He didn't come in the way that we thought he would come, even though he did. We know his parents. He can't be him. We know where he comes from. Paul's message to these leaders was their very hope of deliverance, but they missed Christ. Today there are people missing Christ, looking for another Messiah. Even in the church, people are looking for another Messiah. There's only one Lord, one baptism. There's only one hope. There's only one faith. There's nobody else. I don't care what the thoughts and the prevailing ideas of the times are. There's one God and there's one salvation. Only one way to be saved. This is a narrow road. There's not many roads to choose from to get to heaven. Christ is a narrow road. People don't like the message. Tell you they want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Paul would not have any of it. He says, I'm going to tell you what happened. And as he begins to go through the experience of his conversion, it's centered on the fact that he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He met the Lord on the way to Damascus. Now, can you imagine having a light that's brighter than the sun? Can you imagine you on your way to persecute the saints? Can you imagine you're on your way to bring them back in chains? And in fact, as he's going to Damascus, he didn't take no extra horses for them to ride on. He'd be pulling them along the way in chains. They'd be falling down, having to get up. He didn't care who it was. He would be pulling them. The enemy does not care whether he dragged you on your knees or lying flat on your back. He'll drag you right through the mud. He doesn't care about you. But many people think he does, and they're serving him with a fervor. But Paul had an encounter with the Almighty, and this encounter called Paul to be knocked off his beast. In fact, everybody that was with Paul were knocked off of their beast and fell to the ground. Now, I told you, I've been telling you this. 
It is the enemies of God who fall back away from the Lord. I understand I told you the slain in the spirit. I just don't believe. I don't, I don't see it in Scripture. I know it's popular. I know people believe that, but you can't show me in Scripture where slain in the spirit is, is, is directed by God or it is vindicated or that it is something that is spoken of in Scripture. What I do see is people falling prostrate before the Lord to give him honor and glory. I see the enemies of God falling backwards in the sense of saying, Lord, your power is too great. They can't stand in the power of God. Do you not know the right position to worship God is right on our face before him? Today there are people raising their fists to God in anger, challenging God. How, how incredibly dangerous that is. To say, God, I can challenge you and take you. I think I got this. But Paul's encounter caused him to go blind and allowed him to see Jesus, whom he was persecuting. And from that day on, Paul says, I was a changed man. I was never the same. (laughs) Paul says, that light, that experience, let me know that's Jesus. Well, all of Paul's learning, whatever he learned from Gamaliel, it was transformed to say whatever. And whoever they were looking for, he had that encounter. All of his learning actually helped him, but he now knew that it was Christ, Jesus, whom he was to serve. This is what Paul is telling the audience. This is the message that he is telling them. Unbelievers can fight against the church and talk about the church all they want. They will find themselves fighting directly against Jesus Christ. Paul tells King Agrippa that I changed sides from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer because of my encounter with Jesus. Paul's message to everyone that he preached did not change. He preached the same message. Wherever he went, he preached a message in Philippi when he went down to the river to meet with the women for prayer. He preached the same message when he cast the demon out of that little slave girl. He preached the same message when he was in prison and the earthquake came. He preached the same message even when he went to Athens. He preached the same message. Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the answer. He's the Messiah. If you have any hope of being saved... You've got to accept him. He's the one that rose from the dead. You have an obligation to preach Christ when you are asked what you believe to whoever asks you. By the accusation, people are not scared to tell you what they believe. They'll tell you in a minute. They'll tell you in a minute, I don't believe in God and proud about it. I, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ and I serve him. sometimes we serve a great God don't have to back up from anybody from the God that we serve and Paul refused to do it even if it would cost him his life and it eventually did but Paul recognized that on this earth was only temporary he was living only temporarily here his home was in heaven It was also Paul. 
at the time when he went back to his, the prison cell, and when he goes to Jerusalem and Caesarea, when he, when he had been attacked, and he had just told the Pharisees, I believe in spirits, I believe in the resurrection, and it caused chaos in that assembly. If you remember, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because they believed different things, Paul said those words, and he was about to tear them apart. And the, and, and, and the commander said, go get Paul, they're going to kill him. And when he went back to the prison, it was the Lord himself that stood before Paul and said, Paul, keep preaching the message. Keep preaching the word of God. You have to go to Rome. You are going to Rome. Don't stop saying what you're saying. Point number three. The appeal and the rejection. The appeal to King Agrippa comes after Paul is called a maniac. The Greek word for the word mad is where we get the word maniac. The, the Latin word, the translation for the Latin means to be called insane. That's where we get our English translation, insane. So Paul was called a madman. He was called insane. And it was, King, it was Governor, Governor Festus who said, Paul, man, your learning, all of your learning have called you to become mad. Man, you have, gone, you have gone out of your mind. You have become insane. But note carefully, this is just how the world treats the word of God. Those who believe in the risen Savior and believe in the final judgment for sin are called mad, crazy, and insane. Paul does not miss a beat, but tells Festus, that what he is saying was not done in secret nor in a corner. Paul is saying you can easily verify that what I am saying is true. Not only about what happened to me, but Christ. It was not done in a corner. When you read Corinthians, it, you will see that Christ appeared to over 500 people at one time. He appeared on this earth over a period of 40 days after the resurrection. Paul said it wasn't done in a corner. Go check out the facts. One of the great things about the Bible, it tells you, go search the facts. It's not private. Mormonism. Interesting thing about Mormonism, having their leader, Joseph Smith, in New York, <laughs> he's the only one that got the revelation from God on these special golden tablets and every time anybody went to go see where they were, they would automatically go back into the ground because they weren't spiritual enough. Only he could see it. That's how this foundation of Mormonism began, with Joseph Smith. He saw, oh my goodness, look at this. Look at all these things happening. I'm going to develop something myself. And today we got people following a man who lied to them. Every other religion... That is not of Jesus Christ is a false religion. I make no apology. Don't believe me? Go search the evidence for yourself. Now, you can take my words, but I tell you, go search the evidence. Understand, why did they want to kill Paul? They were the ones that's lying. They, they are the ones that didn't have proof. You know, if you win an argument, people will want to beat you up. Be careful who you argue with and win. You might get punched. So make sure you stand at a distance. 
Paul's message to them was Christ. Now, when the appeal came, Paul says, I'm not crazy. And then he turns his attention to King Agrippa II. King Agrippa II is the son of King Agrippa I. The great-grandson of Herod the Great. His father, King Agrippa I, that was eaten by worms, had been raised in Rome as a family tried to protect him. When his father, Aristobulus, was killed by his own father, King Herod, because he was concerned and scared that he was going to try to get the throne. When wickedness and evil prevails in a family and there is no correction, the children oftentimes are lost. It requires God's intervention. And here we find King Agrippa. Here at this time, standing before the Lord, before Paul, as he preaches the word of God, and he gets an appeal. He receives an appeal. They thought that they were coming to listen to Paul and to see if they could find something by which he could be charged to send to Nero in Rome. Yet they didn't know that they were now hearing a message that they would have to give an accounting for in the judgment on the last day. Sitting there under Paul was going to be the time in history that they would have to give account for one day. And so Paul says, what I'm saying has not escaped King Agrippa. He, he knows about this. King Agrippa, do you believe? <laughs> Paul, you almost persuaded me <laughs> to become a Christian. <laughs> One of the most tragic things in life is to have the word of God preached and to almost be convinced to repent. Almost be convinced to repent. It is after the appeal in King Agrippa's words that he stands up with his entourage and leaves unchanged, unrepentant. Have to go before the throne of God and be judged from the message that he sat under with Paul. Do you not know that God says for every idle word that we say, we're going to give account. What we hear, we're going to give account to what we hear. When God calls us to the last judgment and stand, we stand before him. And he says to you, what did you do with my word? My word, Jesus Christ, the Logos, he's the word. What did you do with Christ? Well, Lord, I thought about it, but I just had other things to do and I had other religions to check out. And never got back around to seeing if what I heard was true. And there you will stand before God in the judgment with no blood applied to your life. Having a stand and give an account for what you've heard, but what you didn't respond to. Today, God's grace and mercy has been extended so that no one could perish. But when people turn a deaf ear to God, 
He finally will cut them off and says, fine, go your own way. Do your own thing. And then even when you want to respond, you can't. There have been some people that on their deathbed, when a person tried to pray for them, they couldn't repent. I was in a situation with a man who refused to listen to God all of his life. I called him. In fact, I went by to see him. He had not been talking, had not been saying anything. And I called his name and said, you need to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, I don't know if you can hear him, but I just started talking to him. I said, I'm going to pray for you. The moment I started praying, he goes, and I stopped like, Uh, maybe he just, maybe he just, maybe that. Lord, I pray that you. <clears throat> you know what I said? I said that you have made your decision. And I left. Within two days, he was dead. In eternity, He's going to have to face the Savior. We've got to be careful. We're not in this walk plain and trying to, trying to make it easy for people. No. There's a decision that people have to make. We are turning, talking about our eternal destiny. If Christ did not have to come and die, he wouldn't have come. If there was any other way, it would have been, we would have known about it. We would have, he would have given that to us. But it required his death. The person that rejects him will then have to face his wrath. Right now, you've got God's grace and mercy covering you and pleading with you saying, come, don't wait. But when it's continued when it continues to be spurned and put aside, eventually God's judgment sinks in and comes. Bow your head. There are some of you in this place right now today have never said yes to the Lord. The Lord made it simple. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't cost you a lot of time. It only costs you to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I accept you as my Savior. And you are saved. That's it. He made it simple, easy for us to do, although it cost him everything. And people wait. They won't respond because of pride. The day you hear my voice, the Lord says, don't you harden your heart. Today I'm going to ask every eye closed. Please, this is between the person right now and the Lord. Even though your decision between the Lord, it is a very public matter. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Is there anybody in this place that said, Lord, I've been running. I know I'm not right. 
I know that I have not accepted you. If there's anybody in this place today, would you raise your hand and put your hand down if you have never accepted the Lord as your Savior? And if you're saying, yes, I am willing to accept the Lord, please raise your hand. If you're saying, yes, I'm willing, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to call the two people out that have raised their hand. I'm going to ask Nelson, the gentleman right here, if you would go in the back. I'm going to ask Brother Ronnie and Sister Michelle if you would take them through Romans and speak with them briefly. Brother Nelson, would you go in the back, please, um, in the office? The gentleman right here, Shannon, right next to him. Right here. Yes. Would you go in the Amen. The smoothest things on the couch, on the floor, to the by the heater. The smoothest stuff off of the off the couch, please. Lord, right now, as a minister to those two, we pray in Jesus' name that God, you will cover and strengthen, save, Lord, even from the fact that they have already raised their hand. That is already a means by which they have been accepted into the kingdom of God. We thank you right now, Lord. We honor you right now, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. There's some of us in this body right now that have been playing church. And God wants us to understand and know. He said that when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. It is time that we grow up in the body of Christ and become mature saints. We become mature believers. We begin to do what God has called us to do. We began to live as God has called us to live. It doesn't mean we won't make mistakes, but it means that, God, I'm making you my choice and my focus. In this place today, I'm challenging everybody, anybody who has been shucking and jiving, has not been serious about their walk with God, to stand and say, Lord, I am committing myself to a new walk in you. If If that's what you're willing to do, I want you to stand with me right now. Anybody that's willing to do it. I'm going to stand and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Thank you for standing. God, right now, for those that have stood, we're praying that there will be an increase of the Holy Spirit in their very lives. We are praying that, God, you will take them and move them into areas that they have never known before. We pray in Jesus' name that you will help them to walk and to live, no matter what comes, for the glorious kingdom of the Almighty. Do a work in them right now. And even when the devil comes in like a flood, we are praying that you will raise a standard, that they'll be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy and be able to fight the good fight of faith in the kingdom of the Almighty God. Do it, Lord, for your glory, and we give you all the praise. And all the honor in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As you go this week, don't forget the words you heard. Don't forget the message you've heard. Spend some time on your knees and in the word of God. God bless you. Have a good day. Amen.